Coming up next on This Week in Radio Tech, Mike Spry is our guest. I've known Mike for years as a full-time as the director of engineering for some Orlando radio stations. Well, now he's leading a whole team of engineers, taking care of engineering uh, tickets, trouble, and fixing them all across the country. Hundreds of radio stations. It's a pretty interesting, uh, pretty interesting prospect. It's coming up next. Mike Spry and Chris Tarr are next on Twerk. This Week in Radio Tech is brought to you by Broadcasters General Store with outstanding service, savings, and support online at bgs.cc. By Broadcast Bionics with the Bionic Studio, including talk show control, social media, and visual radio. Broadcast Bionics brings exceptional audience engagement to radio and TV. By Angry Audio. Audio problems disappear when you get angry at angryaudio.com. By Nautel, worry-free transmission you can count on with outstanding control, reliability, efficiencies, and Nautel's unmatched 24-7 customer support. Online at Nautel.com. And by MaxConnect Wireless, prioritized high-speed internet service designed for transmitter sites and remote broadcasts. Hey, welcome into This Week in Radio Tech, the show where we talk about everything from uh, the microphone to that light bulb at the top of the tower, and often about fixing these things and taking care of them. That's what we do as engineers, and we talk about radio technology. Hi, I'm Kirk Harnack in Nashville, Tennessee, covered up by lots of snow. We got about uh, seven or eight, maybe nine inches of snow here in Nashville, and now we have freezing rain coming in. Just just when they're clearing the roads, now comes the freezing rain and more cold temperatures. So, you know, we don't really know how that works here in Nashville. Uh, I just, I, I gave myself a backache last night just scraping enough snow off the deck and the stairs to the deck uh, to get myself out there to do a, a loving thing, feed the birds. I got two bird feeders out there and all the cardinals and finches and I don't know what else is out there. Uh, some woodpeckers, they come out and they, they steal all the seeds that they can. So I try to keep them uh, happy and alive. No, no sense putting water out there though for them. They got plenty of snow and the water just freezes. So I, I hope I'm doing my, my part. Also, the Amazon van got uh, stuck in my driveway today. I had to get a tow truck to pull the Amazon van out of my driveway. So that was exciting for, uh, for both me and I guess more for the driver. So how about that? Hey, uh, we're here on this um, Thursday live, and with us is Chris Tarr in McQuanago. And I can't brag about snow because Chris is in McQuanago, where there's plenty of it. Oh, I know. We we have got, uh, you know, I'm looking out my window here. In fact, let me see if I can quick go mobile here with this. <laughs> uh, yeah, you really oh, can't goodness. see. But there's got to be a uh, foot and a half on the back porch. What? Um, oh my gosh! Yeah, oh yeah, it's it's nuts. And then uh, you know we've had winds, so we've had some some kind of blizzard conditions. And then you know the worst part is, and we are prepared here, obviously in the north for snow. And and, I, and honestly, it doesn't slow us down much. But <clears throat> there gets to a point where it gets so cold, and it's been uh, below zero now for several days, where uh, because there was so much snow, the roads couldn't get completely cleared. And salt mm. doesn't work. So you get to a point where now there's just flattened chunks of ice in the road that isn't going to go away until it gets a little bit warmer. We can respray it with brine. But, uh, yeah, it's been – fortunately, the one thing I did do that was really smart, and I suggest this a lot of people my age as, you know, living up in this area, is I have somebody who shovels. 
because, you know, especially this last time was that kind of wet, heavy snow. And, uh, you know, we we, you know, we lost a good friend of ours, Chris, cleaning snow up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I it's very common uh, for heart attacks, especially, you know, as you get older, trying to shovel the snow. So I don't do that anymore. But uh, it, it's it's pretty for the first couple of days that it just we're at the point now where it's just really annoying i uh i know showing a screen on a screen usually doesn't work too well and equally here but that's a live look at my front yard and uh that it, it is a hill it's not a mound of snow that big there is actually a hill there but uh if it, the picture looks blown out no it's not blown out that's that's the snow <laughs> yeah and i know we we're sitting here bragging about let snow me, uh, and, uh, just, what, what's here, that chris let me uh let me just show you uh that picture, that's my back porch. Oh, wow. And it's its not unlike mine, dude. Hang on, hang on. No, and that, that's that what was I, actually, we, we've had more snow since that, yeah. That, that's what I shoveled last night. And and yeah, some rain crazy. has come along. Yeah, it's just right at freezing, so some of it thawed. Um, but uh, it's going to refreeze all again tonight in the next few days. We're calling off the family reunion, I fear, because people won't be able to make it here. So we should have the family reunion in Orlando. That would be the place to do it. What do you think? That's the, uh, that's let's the, check with our, our Orlando tour guide who has joined us today. <laughs> and that's Mike Sprezinski. Hey, Mike Sprezinski. Good to see you. How are you? How you doing, Kurt? I'm good. I'm good. Delightful to have you. And we're so envious because I know it's a balmy 71 at your place, right? Yep. 71 and raining. <laughs> rain well yeah no, well you, you take some you leave some but wow wow so if we had our family reunion in orlando would 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 my the harnack family be in a happier shape right now oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> are, are yeah. mike you, you are, are you actually in the orlando area is that where you live uh, i live a little bit north of orlando the okay. uh, iheart studios are in uh, maitland florida which is a little north of orlando oh okay okay Seems like on I-4, I recall driving by a big TV station there on the side of the road. Is that yeah, Maitland? Or is uh, that... Yeah, that's the Maitland area. That's Channel 2. They have their uh, studios and helicopter pad right off I-4. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've seen. I think we had an SBE meeting there one time, or very close to that. Yep. yep yeah, sure probably is. so. Well, uh, let me introduce uh, uh, Chris. This is uh, Mike Sprezinski, or uh, Mike, can we call you Mike Spry? Sprezinski, what do you like to go by? Mike Spry's fine. Okay, awesome, good. I, I, I like that. that's how, that's how I met you years ago, uh, Mike. You are the, uh, uh, the team lead, the support team lead uh, for iHeart, and we're going to find out some interesting things, at least the things that you can tell us about uh, what you do there. Um, kind of give us a, a, a little preview. What you know? What does what your job entail? Because you're no longer the you know Southeast Area Director of Engineering. You're kind of in charge of a team for the whole country. What what's a little thumbnail on on what your job entails? Um, back in 2020, iHeart decided to put together a central support team for broadcasts, uh, similar that uh, most companies, large companies have for IT. And uh, so we put together a team of about five or six engineers from within the company. And we started the process of building uh, all of our infrastructure with tools and um, um, sensors and and. If it can be monitored, uh, we probably monitor it. Uh, everything from studios to electrical to HVAC to generators, you know, anything that has an IP address and can uh, have a sensor on it that we can monitor uh, 
mostly through SNMP. Um, we, we will monitor that and depending on what happens then uh, uh, through various monitoring platforms that will be fed into uh, our ticket system. And then uh, my team, which now uh, operates 24-7, 365, uh, we have 18 engineers on the team. Um, they, uh, they will take that ticket and either uh, resolve the problem remotely, if it's possible to do that. Uh, and if not, we will get it to either a, a centralized team or uh, the local regional engineers in the market to solve. Wow. Okay. And there's a lot that goes into that. And uh, I love the, the process that, that uh, you guys have in, in place. It sounds like it's actually working very, very well. Uh, that's what we're going to get into. Some of the things that Mike has found that work well, maybe a couple things that, that haven't worked as well. Um, and, and and it's interesting when you take care of that many radio stations. And Chris takes care of a lot, close to 50 transmitters. Uh, and I take care of a few. But uh, Mike, Spry, Mike Spry is uh, in charge of teams that take care of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of transmitters transmitter sites and studios. So we're going to be finding out about uh, how that works and, and, and what works well about it. Um, hey, our show, real quick announcement, our show is brought to you in part by Nautel. And you know Nautel is a great friend of the broadcast industry. And I want to remind you, hey, while some of us are stuck at home, in our homes, because it's nasty outside, that now is a great time to go back and review some of the things that are on the Nautel site. And I don't mean necessarily transmitters, although you're welcome to, but some of the great educational uh, programs that they have on the Nautel website. So go to Nautel.com, and there's a whole uh, place where you can look certainly at the at the uh, archived um, programs of their Transmission Talk Tuesday roundtable discussions, and you do get SBE credit for watching those. So you can, you know, and, and you can report that even if it's a one that you're watching an archive. You can report that if you, you know, be honest, take the whole thing, watch it over, learn from it, and you get half a credit uh, for your SBE recertification. Um, there's all kinds of good, great, great topics there for Transmission Talk Tuesday. But there's other resources at the Nautel.com website, educational resources. There are white papers. There are our, uh, webinars on specific uh, issues and questions and techniques and technologies that we use. Like if you need to know more about HD, maybe you need to brush up on something about HD radio, or you're getting ready to, like I did last summer, install some HD radio. There's some great resources right there. Um, the Transmission Talk Tuesdays covers so many things, but remember there are things in addition to uh, the Transmission Talk Tuesdays, although man, that's, those are, those are uh, just terrific resources. Um, Check it out from Nautel.com. Of course, while you're there, if you want to check out the new uh, Nautel GV2 transmitter series, you get everything in one box. You see, you plug audio into it. It can be live wire. It can be AES EBU audio. You plug it in there. You got uh, you got processing inside of it. You can you can get Orban. You can get uh, Omnia Nine processing, and you've got all the HD stuff in there. And there's no need for anything to keep the HD one and the fm aligned it's all built into that transmitter it's very stable check it out from nautel at uh, nautel.com thanks a lot nautel for sponsoring this week in radio tech and thank you for being uh, a friend of the industry and a friend of broadcast engineers like me and chris and our guest mike spry really appreciate what you do for us all right we are here with uh, chris tar and mike spry and uh chris i know you're going to have questions too because i don't know chris do you have a ticketing system or you just keep all this stuff in your head when something goes wrong how does that work for you know, a? We, uh, huh? 
We we did. Now when I was at Intercom we before, you know, they, they merged and we went to, you know, an official system, we each had our own and I, I did have a ticketing system there. Uh here we tried it and it just turns out that um it's just easier. We don't have many people, you know, with COVID and everything working in buildings anymore, so it's just easier for them to email me now. Mm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Um, Mike, I wonder if you could, uh, you, you know, when it seems like some years ago when iHeart announced that they would be centralizing a lot more of the engineering operations and they would have some tiger teams of people that go out and build studios and do big refurbs when that was necessary. Um, and I know that that plenty of, of engineers in the industry kind of groused about, oh, they're, they're going to get rid of local engineers and you know, what would you do without us? And a, as an engineer myself for literally 14 radio stations, and we do have a guy helping us who does most of the transmission work, um, I can tell you that with te- today's technology, this is very doable. And I'm just, I'm just one little guy that's, you know, only medium smart. Um, you guys have come up with plenty of processes, a lot of standardization across your place. I wonder if you could let it kind of take us through the story of, you know, uh, how you decided to go about this path to make this a reality where you, you may even do a better job now than you did with, you know, several engineers in, in each market to uh, kind of give me your thoughts on curious through that. Well, um, you know, up until uh, 2018, 2019, um, the company had some standards in place. But uh, when we do re- we were doing rebuilds, you know, the local engineering manager could pretty much pick what they want. Um, but that's not going to work for a central support team because you just can't have 50 different consoles and and codecs and you know all all, all different equipment if you're going to. St- have a central team and and create standards. So they made the decision that uh, they would, uh, moving forward as they renovate uh, markets uh, when real estate leases uh, expire, um, uh, to start standardizing on what is installed um, you know, the a, a, a two-person studio in Portland, Maine, uh, or Sacramento, California is going to be the same exact configuration as a studio here in Miami or Tampa. Um, and, and that really is the key to have central support, efficient central support, because you're not having to worry about supporting a hundred different platforms. Um, uh, you know, uh, standard studio equipment, standard transmitters, standard uh, transmitter uh, processors, uh, codecs, uh, you know, everything from, from microphone to, to, uh, to the transmitter site. And, um, and then document that standardization so that uh, if we get a ticket, uh, we don't have to spend a lot of time uh, trying to figure out how it's hooked up. We know how it's hooked up because it's set to a standard. Um, and, and that's been working pretty well. Uh, you know, there's always growing pains when you're you're installing, uh, you know, new standards and, and new equipment. Uh, but uh, in the last couple of years, uh, we've overcome uh, a lot of those hurdles and it's it's starting to work very efficiently now. Um, you know, for example, uh, in 2023, we had just north of 50,000 tickets come into the center. And we were able to resolve 61% of those tickets centrally. So um, the big, the big problem really, in my opinion, 
is that uh, we, you know, we can't find good, uh, good engineers anymore. We can't find engineers anymore. You know, engineers are starting to either retire or some have moved on to other fields um, uh, for whatever reason. But we do have difficulty finding uh, the right engineer to fulfill roles, uh, either from a central support standpoint or uh, in the in the market. Do you guys ever use, um, out in the markets, do you ever use contract engineers? And if so, could a contract engineer benefit by learning some of the standardizations that, that iHeart has decided, hey, these work well for us. We've, you know, we've argued about them. We've decided on these things. And these are, these are the stuff that everybody finally uh, uh, agrees on. Could a contractor learn from that and maybe then take that and apply it to other stations that he takes care of? No, oh, Absolutely. Um, we do have contract engineers because, again, in some areas of the country, we're, we're having trouble finding full-time engineers. Um, uh, so, you know, we have, we have to have somebody there, so we, we will hire a contract engineer. And, mm -hmm. and in some cases, you know, we'll turn a contract engineer into a full-time engineer if uh, things work out. So, yeah, I think definitely, you know, anybody that were lo was looking at trying to uh, make their operation more efficient, standardization, um, especially for a central support team, is key. I, I want to ask Chris Tarr this question first, and then I, and then I want to see it answered on a much larger scale from, from Mike Spry. And the question is this, um, what can you do with a centralized engineering uh, effort or scenario uh, or architecture? What can you do better with centralized engineering than you could do having several engineers out in the field? Because I'm, I'm sure that, Chris, I'm sure the stations that you're working with at Magna Media, at some point th there were a, a number of engineers at these individual stations before they got bought up and bought, brought into the Magna Media group. What do you feel you do better uh, as a centralized operation than when it was, when they were unconnected and, and spread out? That's a great question, because even when I first took over, that was one of the things I had to do because they still weren't, <clears throat> excuse me, they weren't really centralized. And, you know, the, the problem was, was we had differing standards. We had differing, uh, <clears throat> pretty much differing everything, uh, you know, equipment that wouldn't talk to other equipment, um, independent networks. Um, you know, there was really no central repository for where equipment was or what we had. Um, you know, something would go off the air, either nobody would respond or everybody would respond. <laughs> and, you know, there was just no general, uh, you know, grasp on uh, the health and, and status of each market. So by combining them, I now have the ability through my computer to see, you know, the transmitter readings in every market to physically see the transmitters. And then, you know, I have our coworkers assigned to specific groups so that, you know, they're not, first of all, they're, you know, working in an area that they're close to, but also that, you know, we don't have two or three people responding to something when really only one will do. And we've been able to also then take our best practices and apply them everywhere too. Uh, you know, we had, uh, for example, I have um, one of my engineers, John, who's really good at, you know, keeping things clean and organized and things like that. So I took a lot of what he did and, you know, involved that and applied that to markets where, you know, he's not involved into other markets. And so I think in a lot of ways, it's it's helped in consistency. It's helped in the overall operation in terms of 
you know, being on the air a whole lot or, you know, being off the air a whole lot less now because, uh, you know, there's one person tracking all of the trends rather than a few people who may not tell the other people that these things are going on. So, uh, you know, all of that together, it's just a lot more consistency in how the operation runs. And because of that, we've achieved a lot of efficiency. Now, having said that, you know, there are some downsides. Obviously, you know, for me, I've got, you know, I don't always have 100% optics on every site that I manage. I have to do a lot of traveling still because there's nothing, you know, nothing replaces having somebody there. Or in the case where, you know, one of our guys isn't, uh, is on vacation or out or something and I've got to work something out. So, you know, there are some issues there. But I think all in all, uh, you know, we're able to take, the ability, the special abilities that each person has and apply them everywhere. And I think that's great because it's, you know, again, like my, like my coworker, John, who's just one of the best transmitter guys I know. I know I can call him to go to a, you know, a different area where we might have a tube transfer or something that he'd be really good at. And he can take care of that. Meanwhile, you know, I do a lot more with HD and SNMP and things like that. So I'll go and take care of those things. So it allows us to build some specialists as well that, you know, Maybe when we first took over the station, that guy was just handling that station, but he's got some really good chops and something else. Well, I can use that. I mean, I, you know, there are places where we can use that skill. So I guess in a nutshell, that, that is really, those are some of the huge benefits of doing this is the, you know, it scales well, you've got a lot of group knowledge for different things and you've got consistency. Interesting. I like all that. That sounds good. Mike, how would you, uh, Agree or add to what Chris said? Oh, yeah. Um, definitely the standardization across all platforms, uh, all stations, uh, makes things more efficient. We, we can get the station on, uh, restore service. I mean, that's the, that's the goal of our group is to restore service as fast as possible. And being that we're 24-7 and can get the alerts uh, and tickets quicker, than say somebody that's uh, you know in the market and them getting contacted directly, um, you know we've got people already awake and uh, now now we don't uh, as a as a safety rule we we don't turn transmitters back on um, without uh, making a call because we want to make sure that nobody's out there uh, mm. working on, on the transmitter. Mm. Uh, we have a process in place where. Uh, regional engineers will let us know that they're going to be doing maintenance and it may have, and, and it may affect, uh, you know, a station being on the air or the power level. Um, and then, uh, as the, we'll create a ticket for that. And then we'll, we'll, when, when they actually do the work, we'll get, uh, additional alerts and, and tickets, uh, for that. And we, we see immediately, oh, somebody, you know, we, we know that there's maintenance going on out there. We just need to, uh, attach these new tickets to the maintenance ticket and, and, and then we, we move on. Uh, but, um, you know, if we don't have a maintenance ticket for a station and we get an alert for a transmitter being down, um, you know, we don't want to risk anybody's safety by just turning it back on, assuming that there's nobody out there. Um, we are in the process, we are in the process now of installing cameras at all the sites um, we have, we have cameras at some sites, but we don't have them at all sites. So we're in the process of fixing that so that we have eyes on every transmitter site and we can actually go in and look to see, you know, if somebody's out there, but just as a safety protocol, we're, we're not going to turn somebody's transmitter back on, um, uh, 
uh, unless we know it's safe to do so. But we can do it quicker than they can because we're already dialed in. We're already looking at it and we'll call a local engineer or uh, and say, you know, is there somebody working at that site? Your transmitter's off. They'll say no. Bang, we turn it back on. It saves them from having to get up. You know, open the laptop. If it's not on, turn it on. I mean, you know, our goal is to get to restore service to the station as quickly as possible. That sounds good. Too, the other like the other it. nice thing, the other nice thing is is it helps with vacations. Um, that was yes. kind of the big thing. Is you know, it used to be where, you know, uh, before we started doing that, even at Intercom when I was there in Milwaukee, I was on my own. I you know, if I took a vacation, the calls came to me, and I had to deal with them, vacation or not. And you know, now the the knock was able to handle that and take care of those things. And that's kind of the way it works now too. Is you know, because everything now with thanks to SNMP and everything else is all pretty centralized. Um, you know, I've got two other people who can log in and manage all the stuff I have. So they can take that over and get the calls and the emails when I'm on vacation. So I don't have to, uh, you know, I don't have to do anything, um, you know, answer the phone or anything else. Everybody else has got it. So, yeah, I think that's also helped. And I think that also took away some of the reservation or hesitation that some of the engineers had about this centralization was, you know, they're looking at it as well, you know, these guys are going to be watching me, blah, blah, blah. But then all of a sudden they realize, hey, I can go out for a night. And, you know, if the transmitter pops off or something, I'm not going to have to worry about it. Somebody else is keeping an eye on that. I think that's been a big thing. Good points. Good points. Hey, we are talking to Chris Tarr and Mike Spry. Mike Sprzynski from uh, iHeart. He is the team lead for the uh, engineering team that handles um, trouble tickets and repairs and making things right all over the country. Um, I'm Kirk Harnack. This is This Week in Radio Tech. It's our 679th episode. We're going to have more in just a few minutes. We want to talk about standardization. Mike mentioned standardizing on certain pieces of equipment. You don't do that overnight. It takes time, but I'm interested to see you know how well that works. I would think it worked very well. You got the same transmitter, same audio console, same uh, audio processors in uh, in every market where applicable, and you know you can start to see trends and, and know you know know what's wrong with them and know what's right with them, know how to adjust them. That's coming up. Our show this week in Radio Tech is brought to you in part by Broadcast Bionics and their fantastic Camera One system. We'll be right back. Camera One from Broadcast Bionics, designed to bring video to your audio content. Visualizing radio and podcasts for social media. Camera One can automatically create, capture and brand professionally switched video for live streaming or upload, making your production shareable. Control and configure using a web browser on any device. Camera One is available as a 4-camera or 8-camera system using the Blackmagic A10 Mini range, including the A10 Mini Extreme. You can use cameras to suit your studio and your budget. You'll need one camera for a studio wide shot and usually one camera per microphone. A standard multi-channel sound card or IP driver monitors audio from each studio microphone and we work natively with Axia systems. Ideally this will be a post-fader feed from each mic, although you can use pre-fade audio or a mic split if that's all you have available. These audio levels are used to intelligently switch the video feed when each contributor is talking. You can also group microphones together into one shot and use the audio from a mixer's aux bus. You can use Camera One's auto switch feature or disable it and switch using the on-screen buttons or the buttons on the ATEM. 
Recordings can automatically start when you tell the system you're on the air. This on-air indication can be linked to your studio's red lights via IP or an Avantech Adam GPIO interface. You can quickly browse all the videos that have been automatically created during your broadcast, download them and post. Camera One is a user-installable system. You'll need a good spec Windows 10 PC, i7 with plenty of storage and 16GB of RAM. It's better if this machine isn't used for anything else. Remember, you can control the software in a web browser on another device on your network. Camera One, a thrifty way of creating scroll-stopping video from your show or podcast from Broadcast Bionics. Love Camera One and Broadcast Bionics. They are in England and they get to test out their ideas on some of the biggest broadcasters in the world in England, like BBC and um, uh, Capital FM and, and other broadcasters that are just amazing, uh, and, and broadcasters around the world, of course. So check them out at uh, bionic.co.uk or bionics.co.uk or bionic.radio. Uh, you can see them in the show notes, too. Thanks a lot, Broadcast Bionics, for sponsoring This Week in Radio Tech. It's Kirk Harnack along with Chris Tarr and our guest Mike Spry with iHeartMedia's engineering team. And um, we're talking about centralized engineering operations. Then iHeart has gone to a lot of this to handle, you know, day in, day out things. And and so Mike's in charge of this. Mike, um, uh, I'd love to hear from you and, and also some comments from Chris about maybe a few specific things. And it, it, it's okay to mention brand names if you need to uh, or technologies. But I'd like to understand, you know, what are some of the technologies uh, and brand names that you're finding work well in this environment where you're centralized and you're dealing with things out out there. Mike, I know you mentioned SNMP. Uh, many, not all, but many manufacturers offer SNMP uh, access into their equipment. Uh, maybe there's uh, that and some other things that you could tell us about. What works well for you? That's what I'm looking at. Well, we started uh you know obviously standardizing on equipment so you know we we've got uh, uh the new studios that they're rebuilding uh are outfitted with uh, wheatstone equipment um and uh the idea between when they renovate the studios the idea uh, if if you think back uh before standardization was a thing uh you know every station pretty much had their own air studio or their own master control and talk studio uh, or or a, pro a production room for each station. I mean, it, it ended up being a lot of studios. Um, mm -hmm. Well, by standardizing on a, on a, on a single, single platform manufacturer, um, you, you have the ability to really, uh, with, with the consoles these days, is to, uh, with a flick of, of a button, you can make that studio whatever you want. So the idea is, uh, when we're when we're rebuilding markets, you, you don't you you look at what your needs are. What's the programming uh, requirements for the stations? What shows are live? What shows are voice track? Um, uh, and and you figure out. You know, I don't need if I have ten stations. I don't need thirty studios. Uh, you you look at how everybody operates, and you may not you may only need uh, uh, five or six studios because the stations these days are not live twenty four seven at least not a, a great deal of them. You know the talk mm -hmm. stations may may be uh, live from morning drive to, to afternoon drive, but but in a lot of cases studios uh, end up being empty most of the day. So how can you be more efficient 
uh, uh, with their studio space. Um, and, and, you know, studio space is a real estate cost. Uh, how can you be more efficient and maybe use a, a one studio for three stations or four stations, depending on the time of day that they need it? Um, in, our, in our new facilities, uh, you can walk in and you can hit a button and that studio will become any station in the market. Uh, so if, you know, they, they, uh, have a studio and something fails, all they got to do is, is walk into the next studio, hit a button and bang, it's, it's that station studio with, with, uh, everything on the, on the console that they need, every, all the branding in the studio, um, uh, the phone system that all, uh, becomes that studio with a push of a button becomes that station's studio. And uh, so you don't need so you don't need uh, as many studios. Um, uh, you know, I mean, COVID changed everything. Uh, <laughs> COVID showed that you you know um, a large market um, uh, might not need sixty five thousand square feet. You really might only need fifteen thousand square feet because nowadays yeah. uh, a lot of people are working from home you know uh, most of our production people are are working from home uh, the traffic department the sales department um uh you know you don't every full-time employee doesn't need a desk anymore uh, all they need is the space to work when they come into the state into the uh, uh, office uh so you can save a ton of money on real estate costs uh, by just having shared spaces and and uh, shared studios uh, and and shared workstations, um, and uh, that's been a, that that that's going to be a huge savings for uh, any company that goes in that direction. Chris Tar, that sounds an awful lot like what you've told me about Magnum Media and how you guys are are operating. Is that pretty similar? Yeah, very much. Uh, you know, in fact, we've just we've moved to two different facilities so far, and and may do some more as we downsize because you know he, he's exactly right with that, in that you know we don't need one studio per station because they're not being used all day, so you know we can rotate them in and out. And I have the same situation, uh, like at our lacrosse facility where I have one fully built out studio for four stations. Now we have other studios that are smaller, but we have one really nice kind of showcase studio that can take on the personality of any of the stations depending on what button button you push and i'm working on the same thing in our fort atkinson facility as well where we'll just have one nice studio and that'll be it because with you know covid did change everything and and we went from not only did covid change everything but even just the way the business is now is a little bit different for example the the fort atkinson stations that we bought uh were run from a company from out of the state and so they had to have a you know a full staff and uh, you know a, and a very much redundant to what we have and they had it all in the building so you have this building that was just filled with people well you know some of the people we kept and and then we have our own people we all work out of our houses uh because it just especially after covid we realized that it just didn't make a lot of sense to be paying for all of that real estate when everybody's happier working at home or just as efficient uh and, and actually in some ways things are actually working out better this way so we've decided that's how we're going to do it and so you know we've ended up with some of that where we're going okay we need to reassess what we're doing um 
as for technologies, um, you know, SNMP has really played a big part in all of this, as has, uh, believe it or not, the Rural Broadband Fund, because we've been able to do a lot, you know, put in fiber at pretty much everywhere. And we have some pretty rural sites that all, all of my sites now have broadband connectivity. So, you know, we're able to do things like consolidate some of our stations out of one location and really build that up because, you know, being a small group, we can't afford to put in multiple network runs and high, you know, high capacity generators and UPSs in every building that we have. So we picked out two buildings and that's where we're investing our money and we're going to run uh, all of our, our, playout systems from those two places and then you know the local places then have the live studios where they can take that programming and and kind of insert themselves into it but you know the ability to combine all that stuff uh with multiple backbones and things like that uh you know it, it sounds like a big project but in reality it saved us a lot of money and has has helped us a lot in terms of quality and and overall savings and and just for the management point of view to be able to have all those things in two locations and then again with the snmp connectivity to be able to monitor all of that stuff centrally uh you know it's just amazing i mean we've had um knock on wood you know this winter now that we've implemented some of these things um you know we've really had no issues at all uh you know the power went out the other day uh but a whole handful of our stations are in the data center that i have the you know the great generator with the city gas on it and everything and it, it we stayed on the air without a heartbeat now that would have been a situation a year ago where i know for sure that at least one of those studios would have gone out um you know where they used to be and that station would have been off um, that didn't happen this time because you know we have two network connections we have generators we have ups's so all of those stations stayed on so there's you know again those are you know, those, those are ways that technology and, and even, you know, the change in, in how we work has really made a difference because by having that building empty in Fort Atkins and that left room to be able to add this technology and do these upgrades for that. I want to, that's great. I want to ask uh, Mike uh, about the concept. My, I, I know you, the way iHeart works these days, you're, you're, you're very dependent um, in many ways upon internet connections and uh but not completely uh the, i think you've got some some sites that can operate autonomously at least for a while and i uh i got some experience with this myself uh kind of eating my own dog food that i've been you know com uh, talking about for some years in putting everything at a transmitter site the playout system um now we still do live programming uh, i'm speaking of one station that uh, that we just built this past summer uh in oxford mississippi near old miss university um we 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 saw we have a live local morning show and we have uh, voice trackers throughout the day after that and we can go live anytime literally from anywhere i could go i could take over and go live from right here at my desk uh, not that I have. But anyway, uh, putting everything at the transmitter site where it's well-protected, backup power, and at the moment, one source of internet, but maybe later two. I just want to, I wonder if uh, a company like iHeart uh, is th thinking that this may be a way to go uh, where everything can be packaged and you're, and you're dependent on not so much 24-7 uh, service from other providers like internet providers. What do you think? Well, yeah, we definitely are moving towards that model. Um, as we uh, we're in the process of uh, moving our uh, uh, playout systems to a cloud-based system, uh, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. which will which will eliminate 
uh, the studio as a single point of failure. You know, it's it, that's always been a, an issue. I think Chris mentioned it. You know, if you have a if you have a uh, a studio go down or a, or an entire you know your building loses power and your generator doesn't start, you know, you're off the air pretty much unless you uh, plan for that in adv- in advance. But uh, moving to cloud-based systems eliminates the studio as a single point of failure. And mm-hmm. if we lose a, a, a studio um, or, or office studio uh, because of whatever happens, um, you know, we, we can continue to keep that station on the air, um, you know, depending on the programming, you know, music stations is easy. Uh, you, you put play out systems out at the transmitter site and, and as you if you have a live show or, or a syndicated show that will come in uh, via uh, uh, some type of Internet connection, whether it be fiber or cable or Starlink or whatever. Um, uh, as we rebuild markets, uh, we're not putting in STL dishes anymore. Uh, that's a very expensive uh, uh, thing to do these days. And as long as you have uh, uh, reliable uh uh, connections to your transmitter site uh, and backups for your, you know, you have a main and you have a backup system um, uh, and plan accordingly and set them all up. So, so failover happens and stuff like that. And you get, you know, we get alerted whenever we have a, an indication of a, of a problem at a transmitter site. Um, you know, you can keep stations on the air. And even if you lose that ne- network connectivity um, uh, with play out <laughs> systems, uh, uh, you know, the audio server basically at the transmitter site, uh, the station can stay on the air. Cause I mean, if the station's off the air, if you're, if you're not getting PPM ratings or, 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 you know, whatever, how the station's rated, you're, you're losing money. So, um, yeah, I, the idea I, I do the same thing, keep- right? As I say, I do the same thing where, you know, all the sites that I have connectivity to, I also have a, 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 a standby playout server there that's synchronized, and that way, if the fiber does go down, um, you know the the transitor site takes over. I I I still am not uh, totally on board with running everything from the transitor site yet. I may get there, <laughs> but I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> I hear you. I hear, and it's it's kind of nice to walk into the studio building and have that hum. Of course, that's how we all started in broadcasting, right? That the studio was the center of everything. But we also started broadcasting where the audio console was the center of everything, and everything went through it all the time, 24-7. And now, now in a networked environment, the console is just an appliance on the network, and you may be using it, and you may not. So all, all of my stations, they tend to click a button at the end of their shift, put the automation directly to the transmitter, um, and so the, the, the console is free to do, do other things. We've actually done that for years. There's been a few mistakes along the way. <laughs> but that's, mm-hmm. We didn't. Oh, I didn't know it was on the air. <clears throat> hey, it's Kirk Harnack. And this week in Radio Tech, we're talking to Chris Tarr and uh, to Mike Spry. And it's a really interesting conversation. I am really loving this. We've got more to come. Um, I'm also interested in hearing from Mike as to what he thinks that Doing this kind of centralized engineering operation, whether it's had a, a positive and negative or no effect on the ability of 
program directors to maintain localism wherever they possibly can. And I, uh, you know, some people complain that radio is, is very homogenized and some stations are not reactive to bad weather situations, things like that. Yet I have heard, you know, the exact opposite as well, where uh, now people are more freed up to do uh, weather interruptions and to do updates and, and, you know, if there's a gas leak somewhere to get that on, on the air. So uh, I'm sure there's, you know, differing opinions on that, different experiences with that, but I'd like to hear, you know, how Mike's operation in keeping engineering going uh, is, you know, can, can help people to maintain local programming whenever and wherever it's needed. This week in Radio Tech, our show is brought to you in part by Broadcasters General Store and their terrific uh, manufacturer, Innovonics. And Innovonics has got something new to, uh, that they'd like me to tell you about. It is this Innovonics Triple Tuner. This is a half-rack uh, device, like so many Innovonics products are, and it has three tuners in it that it, it's meant for use with your EAS system. And you know, anything from Innovonics is going to be super high quality. Uh, it's an EAS monitor receiver in a compact half-rack package. It has three built-in discrete frequency agile receivers, each one programmable, each one, for AM, FM, or NOAA weather reception. And each receiver has balanced mono XLR audio outputs. How about that? That's nice. It's nice to have all these, these features. Uh, it's got uh, an easy front panel setup with a jog wheel and LED readout and metering. Um, alerts are sent. Uh, it's, it's also internet connected, so it can send alerts to your email or text messages, uh, full function web interface, which, you know, Innovonics is, they are brilliant with this technology of getting a web interface that works really well. And you can remote listen to each tuner individually. And that's really cool. Um, I mean, how many times has that been a problem, not knowing whether your remote tuner is is receiving a good signal? So all these, these just terrific things. By the way, it's got uh, logging internally, six hours of real-time history for the signal strength uh, received and audio levels for each tuner. So you can check and see, is this thing receiving reliably? Uh, it's, again, that built-in web server. It does have SNMP support for monitoring and control, so it fit right in with Chris Starr, Mike's Bry. Uh, and as soon as I figure out SNMP, <laughs> Me too. I need to get a personal lesson from Chris Dar. Um, and it's got plenty of uh, configurable GPOs as well if you need to interface it to uh, external devices and external remote controls. The 677 model triple tuner from Innovonics. Man, these guys are brilliant when it comes out to, to, uh, to introducing this kind of stuff. And if you want to buy one or two or more, or one for each of your 50 transmitter sites, like Chris Dar. Uh, check them out from Broadcasters General Store. Their website is bgs.cc. And their phone number, uh, they answer the phone really well. They do good phone. It's 352-622-7700. That number needs to be in your in your contacts list on your phone, 352-622-7700 for Broadcasters General Store. Thanks so much, BGS and Innovonics, for sponsoring this week in Radio Tech. Hey, I'm Kirk Harnack. Chris Tarr is along, and Mike Spry from Orlando, Florida, where it's a lot warmer than Nashville or McWanago right now, and, and we kind of wish we were there. I was, I'm noticing it, it's going to rain more tonight, and then... Tomorrow's not going to be too bad, but then it's going to get cold again here in Nashville, down to like two degrees on uh, Saturday night, Sunday night. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Hey, um, uh, so I wanted to, to ask next, Mike, how do you feel that uh, centralized engineering uh, either helps or hinders or doesn't really matter for the programming effort? How, how do you 
what, what's this interaction like and how do you feel you, you aid what actually gets, gets on the air? Well, I mean, standardization and central support can, can definitely benefit programming um, because, uh, you know, we can help if, if for some reason something happens to a, a program stream for whatever they're carrying, uh, whether it's from the studio or from, from a network. Um, we, we have the ability uh, to um, uh, change that programming or, or feed something else uh, uh, to that transmitter site uh, with a click of a button to keep that station on the air. Uh, so, you know, uh, there's many cases when we, when we have, um, uh, you know, uh, weather events, especially in Florida, where, you know, if it's coming towards Tampa, uh, you know, they can't stay there. They have to, to, to relocate somewhere and we can continue to put the programming on that they want um, because of the, uh, the systems, uh, centralized systems and, and standardization of equipment. Uh, you know, we can quickly get in and change a stream uh, from, from, from one, one place to another. Uh, and, and, you know, the, Local programming is is really really still important to to uh, to stations to uh, draw the audience that they um, that they need. Um, you know, you, you're fighting the, the the slice of the pie for listeners is is uh, changed dramatically over the last you know 10, 12, 15 years, and so that that's why local programming is still very important and key for a radio station success. So our job is to to make sure that whatever the programming department uh, wants, either either nationally or or locally, that we can make sure that uh, what audio they need gets where where it needs to get. Well, that that ability to, to go on the air from you know uh, basically anywhere uh, that's that's a, a real boon. Uh, that that let's yeah, let's say people had to evacuate a, a Tampa studio because of an impending hurricane. Uh, I guess you can still get programming on, on those same transmitters in Tampa from other locations and people who are in somewhat safer locations, right? Correct. Yes, we can yeah. uh, as long as we have the right equipment at the transmitter site. Um, and we have been moving towards putting everything at the transmitter site. Uh, you know, that includes EAS, that includes PPM, includes, uh, you know, Voltaires, if we have Voltaires, um, uh, and, uh, audio servers. And, uh, so it, as long as the transmitter stay, uh, transmitter stays up and, and we have, uh, power either through the utility or, or from generator, that station can can stay on the air and and you know it, it's proven time and time again how important radio is during a uh, uh, you know a uh, a big crisis or or especially weather events you know I'm we're used to the hurricanes here and uh, mm-hmm. you know in the central central part of the uh, states you've got tor- you know tornadoes and and um, you know west coast you've got earthquakes and things like that but um, uh, you know, we had uh, we had one uh, back in 2004. We had three hurricanes roll through here in six weeks, <laughs> and uh, yeah. and it did it did a significant amount of damage, um, uh, and and fact, it blew out one of our antennas, and um, you know, so it's so it's important that uh, you have the systems in place, um, and and you know, we're moving we're moving 
more and more of the stations to cloud-based systems, you know, cloud playout systems and, and um, uh, you know, phone systems, VX. We, the, the company standardized on uh, VXS, Dallas VXS systems for our uh, phones for all of our new studio builds. So, um, you know, uh, that gives us uh, central control of, of, uh, and support for, for systems that uh, the, the local engineers may not uh, uh, have the time to, to uh, work on. I mean, that's the, that's the problem is, is, you know, you, we don't have, you know, five, six, seven radio engineers in a, in a market you know, working for us for a group of stations anymore, you know, it's most likely one or two. And uh, there are markets that don't have engineers. So mm-hmm. we, it's especially important for central support to be able to keep, keep that, uh, uh, those stations where there's not an engineer nearby uh, on as much as possible. Can we do it 100% of the time? No. Uh, you know, you have a power outage or you have a UPS fail you have a switch fail, you know, somebody's got to go put hands on it. But overall, the amount of downtime is going to be less uh, if it's something that we can centrally support. Mike, you've got a lot of experience with a lot of different pieces of equipment and maybe similar pieces of equipment uh, across the country. You just mentioned something that made me curious. Is Is there a type of equipment that you feel like, you know, the industry could really use a better blank and you you mentioned ups and i must say that that my little radio stations typically have bought less expensive ups's and rack mounted them and sometimes we've had very disappointing results uh, maybe we expect too much i don't know uh we bought a, a several ups's that we thought we were paying enough money we thought they were going to be good and it turns out that if the batteries deplete and the power's still off when the power comes back on they don't come back on and you can't make them come back on. You have to go push the button, and that really honks me off. Uh, are are there are there opportunities for manufacturers in any way, anything that you deal with, to make a better product? Yeah, there, there is, but there's always a cost to that. And, you know, if you're gonna oh, if you're gonna mm-hmm. make it, you know, bigger and better, you know more robust it usually means it's going to cost more so you have to the station uh has to decide whether you know the there's a return on investment on on uh, you know buying a more expensive ups um uh, you know the things that are critical to uh radio stations are obviously you know power so if you want that station to stay on 24 7 then you're going to have to invest in the generator if you want um uh, if you have internet connections and that internet connection is important to you, you're going to have to have a backup system. So that's going to cost mm-hmm. you more, more, more money. Uh, UPSs. Yeah. I've bought some really bad UPSs and I've bought some really good UPSs. So, uh, but usually the, U, the better UPSs, you know, cost two, three or four times more than, than what you, uh, buy at a, you know, local batteries battery store or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, you want to buy, you know, for me, UPS is uh, what's important is you can, can you, uh, service that UPS, you know, change the batteries out while it's still on, you know, mm. can you, can you bypass the, the battery part and, and, and pull those batteries and, and replace them out, uh, without having to turn, turn the UPS off and down everything that that's attached to it. Um, you know, 
we install a lot of, uh, uh, they call them net booters or PDU units, uh, because that's part of our central support. Can, you know, if, if a piece of equipment locks up, you know, and it only takes a reboot, uh, and you don't have it on a net booter or PDU, um, you know, somebody's got to go out there. And if, if they're two hours away, you know, and, and that, that, piece of equipment's important to stay on the air, then, you know, you're, you're going to be off two hours versus it's on a net booter. We can reboot it and it comes back up, you know, processors. And it, we, we've had the, that with processors and exciters and, and, um, um, uh, you know, codecs, things like that. Um, uh, so it's important. So, so part of our uh, plan of, of trying to make sites robust is to put in, um, uh, power units that we can remotely reboot when a, when a piece of equipment um, uh, fails or locks up, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, the piece of equipment fails and there's nothing we can do, but at least we have a shot at it. And I would say probably more than more than 50, 60, 70% of the time, a reboot will bring, will bring it back uh, to life um, uh, versus having to send somebody out there. Um, uh, you, like I said, it's getting hard to find good engineers, and and so we're we're I, I think iHeart uh, is 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 doing the right thing by looking to put in the systems uh, so that uh, you know a central team can support uh, the station to keep it on the air um, because we just you know can't find the find the the, the talent to. Uh, uh, that we need uh, for certain areas. Well, and actually, I, I, in our very last segment coming up after the next break, I want to ask you, Mike, about that, about, you know, what kind of skills that a person should bring to the table if he wants to perhaps work for uh, iHeart. If he wants to contact you or contact your team and, and uh, maybe be employed, maybe the person, you know, no matter what state in the country he's in, you guys probably need uh, you know, could could use some extra in engineering help. So, and it may not be somebody from broadcast. So, I'm kind of curious as to you know what skills you're looking for. And before we take this next uh, this last break, I want to ask Chris, what do you think about uh, you know with all the stations you take care of, uh, is there an opportunity for a manufacturer? And I'm not necessarily talking about broadcast equipment. It could be, uh, but it could be UPS equipment or generator equipment or uh, fiber ONT or motive equipment. Is 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 there a place where you know, the industry really needs a good fill in the blank. What do you think, Chris? That is a good question. You know, I, I, I want to leave, you know, I mean, SNMP has kind of leveled things quite a bit, but hmm. there's still, okay. uh, you know, with, with SNMP, there's still a learning curve there. I would love to see uh, some boxes come out that kind of make SNMP easy for people, uh, where you can, you know, plug it into your network and maybe even, you know, select the devices you have from a library. It grabs the MIB files. You select what readings you want to see and that's it. Um, because I think, you know, even though like to me, after a couple of times going through it, SNMP is pretty easy, but there's still a lot left to be desired in it. It's not the most user-friendly interface. But the fact that everything has it now means that you can, can get a lot of insight to your operation. The problem is, is you have to track down each individual file. You have to dig through it to see what you know each thing means. It'd be great if... if you know, somebody came out with a box or some software that, you know, had a preloaded library of common broadcast equipment. And, uh, you know, then you just said, okay, you know, here's my device. Here are the readings I want. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it sets you up. 
I think that'd be fantastic. All right. Something to make SNMP easier. I'll second that emotion. I like that. Hey, it's This Week in Radio Tech. I'm Kirk Harnack, and our guest is Mike Spry. Of course, Chris Tarr is along with us as well. We have a last commercial break. We'd love you to pay attention through, and then we're going to get some final words from Mike Spry and maybe a tip of the week from Chris Tarr. It's coming up, and it's it's time to hear from Chris Tarr about angry audio. Chris isn't angry, uh, and he's not mad either but he likes angry audio. Chris, what do you got to talk to us about today? That's right. I'm happy because of angry. I love me some angry <laughs> audio. So, uh, you know, we we're talking about all these studio moves and changes in the studios. You know, let's face it, uh, you know, times have changed and, and radio has changed and the way we do radio has changed. And a lot of that means that we have to build simpler studios. We have to build studios that are offsite or studios in places where there may not, may not be technical people. And we just need solutions. We don't want to create these Franken machines that do different things. We just want stuff that you can plug in and it's going to work. That's where Angry Audio comes to the rescue. They have consoles like the Rave. They have gadgets and gizmos like Bluetooth interfaces, uh, headphone jacks, cough buttons, even mic tallies for uh, maybe you have a, a board that doesn't have a, an on-air light. You've got on-air mm. lights. You've got signal gadgets. All these different things that can make your studio come to life with very little work. Now, once you get all that done, let's say you want to do processing. They've got some great processor options out there, too. Or let's say you want to do webcasting. They have some great packages for that. You know, imagine a, a Rave console with one of their mic processors and one of their streaming processors. You've got a fantastic sounding audio stream there. Uh, now they've got the software processing for if you're running a streaming station, you can run it through the software processor, the mic processors, the Rebel, uh, which is, is coming out, and the Smooth, which is out. Uh, all of those sorts of things are really meant to make our lives easier. You can go and equip a full studio and use just Cat5s using Angry Audio equipment with Cat5 cables and Studio Hub Pluses and this, uh, the uh, the equipment from Angry Audio, you can have a fully equipped studio ready to go in an hour. And let's say you want to put something in for voice tracking. You can have that set up. You could almost do it over the phone. It is that easy. So, again, when you have these problems, get angry. That's when the problems disappear. When you get out there and you get angry and you get it done, those problems disappear. So check them out online. You can also contact your favorite uh, equipment vendor for more information. Check them out online, angryaudio.com. Problems disappear when you get angry. You know, I just you, you mentioned you can build a whole studio on on Studio Hub and and, and uh, Ethernet cable, and come to think of it, in Oxford, Mississippi, that's what I did. We built the main studio, and all it is is a remote studio for the stuff at the transmitter, and I built the whole place. And the only thing in the studio that's not Cat Five and Studio Hub was power cords. They haven't got power over yep. Cat Five yet, at least not AC power. It's not rated, and uh, and the speaker cables. I got you know I ran ordinary zip cord for the speaker cables because you know you don't need oxygen free cable. I, <laughs> I I'm working with a wealth management company that does a podcast and a and a live show on an amp station here in town, and we're doing all angry audio in their studio. And you know mm -hmm. they said, well, do you need a whole weekend to do this? I said, no, give me about two hours. I can have your studio done. <laughs> It's incredible. All right. Thanks a lot, Angry Audio. AngryAudio.com for sponsoring this week in Radio Tech. Uh, now, I want to tell you about Max Connect Wireless, and we're, you know, we're come full circle. We're back to making sure you know about the, uh, the wireless internet offering from Max Connect Wireless. 
it is um, a service. Yes, you get a modem with this. You get a uh, an LTE modem. But what's key is the SIM card that's inside because Max Connect has made arrangements with each of the major carriers to get you um, hotspot, you know, hotspot type modem with also a wired connectivity and it's prioritized data. You get your data goes out in and out before everybody else's on that cell tower, uh, except for first responders. But, you know, that's hopefully few and far between. So you get prioritized data. And here to talk to you about it is an engineer who's got a lot of experience in this. It's John Tuckock. John, take it away. With all of the recent cybersecurity attacks against large corporations, we were looking for a product that would give us the ultimate security at our transmitter sites and as well as with our broadcast equipment. MaxConnect fits the bill very well. Its greatest security feature is the fact that it gives you a single static IP address. Using this single static IP address allows us to close hundreds of open ports on our firewalls across the company and restrict access to only the MaxConnect IPs. This has greatly reduced our exposure to the World Wide Web and made us much more secure moving forward. It's also given us the ability to expand as needed in a secure fashion. And what John's talking about there is when, you know, if you've got a remote site calling in from a fixed IP address, you know who's calling and you know it's one of your boxes. And if it's not, well, then you can you can reject that. You can you can whitelist your products. Max Connect is just part of the whole suite of services and products that is offered by the Max Connect group at Max Connect. That's M-A-X-X-K. O-N-N-E-C-T. There you go. There's a spelling right there. MaxConnect.com, or you can add the word wireless if you if you want to. Uh, and they have agreements with AT&T, T-Mobile, and Verizon to give you uh, prioritized data with a, st- a static IP address. And this works great. I have had two in the, in the last in, in the last year, I have had two uh, events where I needed this service, and uh, it worked flawlessly, flawlessly. We used it to keep uh, an FM station on the air where the uh, local cable m- uh, provider had a serious problem. They were off for four days during fundraising, wouldn't you know, on the radio station. So a Max Connect modem kept them on the air, by the way, using Omnia MPX nodes. So that was cool. And then uh, my own station in Mississippi uh, at the transmitter site, fiber was weeks late getting installed. And so we used Max Connect to provide our initial connectivity to get everything configured. Um, my colleagues at Telos Alliance got into our servers there and configured everything for me using Max Connect. So really appreciate uh, Max Connect Wireless. Check them out at maxconnect.com. Uh, links in the show notes if you need the, the spelling. All right, we got just a few more minutes left uh, on our show. And uh, so I'm looking to Mike Spry to talk to us for a minute about if, if, if I were a, a a young mm, high school grad, maybe I'm in college, maybe I'm a college grad, maybe I'm just looking to change careers. And I've got a certain skill set, maybe a little bit of IT, maybe I know something about audio, maybe I do DJ dances on the weekends, maybe I know something about something, maybe I've, you know, I don't know, worked on CB radios. What skill set are you guys looking for to give you some eyes and ears and skills out in the field, Mike? Well, obviously, um, we would be looking for somebody that would uh, uh, have some familiar, uh, familiarity with uh, a radio station environment. Um, uh, we would want somebody that maybe had, um, you know, IT skills. Everything's IT these days, so that that's a good that's a good base or foundation. 
but uh, we we would probably be looking for somebody that that uh, had uh, a certain level of uh, uh, RF skills. Um, you know, it, it's hard to get that. I mean, when I was getting into the business, I, you know, I, I went and interned and, and I worked uh, my first, uh, I got into radio by working at the college radio station. Um, uh, you know, I did everything from news writing to production director and, and, uh, the contract engineer wasn't around a lot. So, uh, I had had three years of, uh, high school electronics. And, uh, so I just started, uh, uh, fixing things around the, uh, this uh, station uh, that led for uh, to me for get, to get my first class license, which isn't required anymore. But uh, but once I got that, a month later, I got hired at the uh, at my first uh, AM station in town, and and it you know for me it was jo- on the job training. So if somebody wanted to get into radio engineering, um, try to find uh, uh, somewhere somehow. Uh, a way of getting your foot in the door. And, I, and I've had, you know, I've hired uh, and uh, uh, promoted people from within uh, the, the uh, station uh, or stations that started out in uh, promotions, you know, and, and then they wanted to, to get into engineering and they started working remotes and, and uh, you know, learn everything that has to do with uh, doing remotes. And uh, eventually they got enough experience to come on to my engineering team locally here in Orlando and, and, uh, they just worked their way up. So it really on, on the job training for me is, is, uh, would be the path. Somebody wants to get into the, uh, the business. And, but that's the problem. We're not finding, uh, people that want to go into radio engineering. Um, you know, uh, uh, average age of a radio engineer these days is probably 63 to 65. Mm. So, that that kind of tells you that you know it's a it's an industry uh, a profession that not a lot of people are coming into so, and and that's that's unfortunate because you know radio is going to be around for a while it's it's not like it's going to go away uh, you know in in five years or even ten years it's 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 here to stay so uh, if somebody you know and and depending on where you are and with what company you're at you know it's it's a pretty good it's a pretty good uh, uh, career. It, indeed, indeed it is. And there, there can be a lot of fun things involved too. It's still fun. I, I back, harken back to the days of, you know, the seventies and eighties when it seems like radio was a lot of fun, but it can still be fun. There, there's still good organizations to, to work with and it can be a rewarding career. It, it's great to, uh, see and hear the results of, of your work. Chris, do you have a last word for us before we uh, say goodbye? I've got my tip of the week. Yeah. All right. So we've been talking about uh, SNMP. And one of the things I found, it's a site, denkovi.com, D-E-N-K-O-V-I, Victor I. And they sell all types of uh, IP controllers and SNMP controllers and relay boards. And Ooh. I've done some pretty cool things with those because they work almost just like a remote, you know, like a, a, a transitor remote control. They've got, you know, up to 16 relays. Uh, they've got, you know, analog and digital ins and outs and all kinds of things. And it's just got a little built-in web server for programming an SNMP. And uh, it's just, you know, and they're, they're very affordable. You can find them, uh, you know, they sell them on their online store 
for a little bit more, closer to $200, but they sell them regularly on eBay for like $130. And they're great little tools for playing around with SNMP if there are things you want to control. Um, you know, now I, I wouldn't put them in critical things for, you know, transmitters or something, but if you're looking for ways to monitor or control things that maybe aren't as critical, this is a good way to do that. And a really inexpensive way to get in to start playing with SNMP because it's got all the inputs and outputs and sensors, uh, that you could ever need. So check that out maybe get yourself a board to play with and, and start remote controlling some stuff. I like it. We'll have a uh, link in the show notes. I love the website already. I was just glancing over some of the, the products there. Chris, thank you. Another terrific tip of the week. I want to give a big thanks to Mike Spry with uh, iHeartMedia. Th- thank you, Mike, for joining us. You've uh, offered some great insights to us, and I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Uh, no problem. Anytime. All right. Chris, thank you for joining us, too. I really appreciate you being there every week, week in, week out. I don't know who our guest is next week. It'll be a mystery guest, but we'll uh, we'll see what we can do. All right. Hey, and thanks again to Suncast, our producer for each and every show. And tell your friends about This Week in Radio Tech. Uh, I'm glad you've joined us. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. That would be great. Like and subscribe. You always hear that about YouTube. And we're on Facebook as well, so you can like us on Facebook too. Uh, and actually, This Week in Radio Tech has a has a Twitter, uh, now X, uh, channel as well. So we'll remind you about shows on, uh, on X. We got to go. We'll see you next week on This Week in Radio Tech. Bye-bye.